the way I think we all need to be thinking about housing now, whether it's in the mountains or down on the Front Range or the Western Slope, is, is by thinking of systemic change. Welcome to our latest episode of the Good and Grounded podcast, which we started to shed some light on the biggest issues we thought were facing our community and spend some time interviewing some pretty dynamic leaders who are working to solve these tough problems. I'm Laura Love, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Licko. Our topic today is one of those where tons of people are working on it, and not only are there no easy solutions, but the target seems to be continually moving in, in, in multiple ways. Um, we've touched on affordable housing in, in a couple of our previous Good and Grounded episodes, but today we want to talk specifically about the housing shortage and particularly the affordable housing shortage in our, in our smaller mountain communities here in Colorado and around the United States, western part of the United States. Talk about why we're here at sort of an inflection point and where innovation maybe is playing a role in working to fill the need that's out there right now. Um, our guest today is Kimball Krangle, who's currently the Colorado market president of Gorman & Company, which focuses on downtown revitalization, the preservation of affordable housing, and the adaptive reuse of significant historic buildings, which I all find fascinating and just am enthralled with. Um, Kimball's career has always been somewhat centered on urban planning and real estate, but she spent particularly the last 15 years or so focused on addressing affordable housing development in, in nearly every form, from policy to financing, to construction and implementation. Uh, she's held positions with the Adams County Housing Authority, the Denver Housing Authority. She's also served as the executive director of the Colorado Community Land Trust and is now based up in Steamboat Springs, where she's focused on multiple affordable housing projects in Colorado's mountain communities. And of course, in between that, she's filling the gaps with ski runs with her little children up there in Steamboat Springs. So Kimball, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be with you. Okay, I know this is a really hard question to probably answer in a short amount of time, but if if you could give us sort of that 60,000 foot view of this affordable housing crisis that's happening in our mountain communities, would you do that for us? Yeah, the 60,000 foot view of the affordable housing crisis in the mountains is quite simple. We do not have any affordable housing supply. We lost a great deal of housing uh, coming out of the Great Recession, where we had homes that were sold and investors picked them up or they were picked up by second um, homeowner situations. And then those folks that owned them ended up turning those into short-term rental opportunities. And effectively what we had were thousands of housing units were swept out of housing supply in just a number of years. At the same time, we weren't constructing new apartments or homes to fill that void. How does that compare what's happening in the mountain communities? How does that compare to what's happening in the Front Range? You know, what's happening in the Front Range always sounds like such a bigger scale of an issue. The city of Denver just released, um, you know, their numbers of being 50,000 units short of housing supply at 60% of area median income and below. That sounds like just such a big number in terms of the scale of the problem. In the mountain communities, you have much smaller communities, but the ratio of the problem is definitely the same, if not slightly worse. You can't commute your way to a resolution if you're living in 
um, say, you know, if, you're, if your job, say, is in Keystone or Breckenridge, there are folks that live in Leadville and commute or live in Kremling and commute or live down in Georgetown and commute. The problem is that that system breaks down over time. You've got people going over mountain passes in the winter. You have just road conditions that interrupt that commute time. And these are folks that have historically been working for more than minimum wage, but maybe $12, $15 an hour. That's now pushing up into the $18 or $20 an hour range. It's still not enough to pay for a car, gas, fixing your car up, and your living expenses, even with that long commute each way. Yeah, it's um, one thing for the people on the East Coast to be used to the you know hour and 15 minute one way commute because of traffic, because of congestion, because of population. It's another thing to say, I have an hour and 15 minute commute and that involves a mountain pass or two and trying to get to and from work in the middle of a snowstorm or otherwise is just not sustainable. Um, you mentioned, and I, 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 this stuck out to me, you mentioned the Great Recession and how things kind of came back from that and people bought second homes. And I, I've thought about this a lot about just planning vacations in the last 10, 15 years as opposed to the 10 or 15 years prior to that. You've got Airbnb, you've got Verbo, you've got all these things that allow, you know, technologies probably fast track this as well. But then also the past couple of years, you know, have really, really fast tracked that. How has the pandemic and the subsequent real estate transactions over the past couple of years impacted or changed the conversation and needs in these mountain communities? The pandemic was nothing short of a complete game changer for our mountain communities. We had folks that, you know, went to virtual employment and could have been home-based in an East Coast city or a West Coast city, and all of a sudden can work from anywhere so long as they have internet and a computer. And they were able to move to these mountain towns, which have a high, you know, recreation, amenity basis, and um, a great quality of life, smaller schools, all the things that people really are seeking out in communities that they want to live in. They were also bringing those higher paying jobs with them and a different sticker shock value of what they're used to paying in these coastal communities. You know, and suddenly being able to move into these small mountain towns, things looked like a value to them, whereas for the local workforce, there was a huge mismatch between what the real estate sales were doing and those values increased so rapidly over just, you know, 12 months, 18 months now into two years that the housing cost, meaning how much you can go buy a home for, has changed very dramatically. And so folks that are working locally, earning local dollars from their local jobs, cannot even come close to competing. And then folks that do turn around and either rent those long-term, if they even do, the rent is so much higher to pay for that mortgage. Most often, if they're not vacant, they may be short-term rentals to just bring in a little bit of extra cash while the home is not in use. Um, but quite honestly, a lot of times if those homes aren't in use, they're sitting empty. Yeah, it's it makes my head spin every time I read an article in the Vale Daily or in the Summit Daily. And, and I know there's a lot of innovative solutions that we're scrambling and trying to play catch up. You know, Breckenridge is limiting short-term rental licenses and there's some public-private, you know, 
partnerships where CDOT's working on housing for some of its employees and Health One's working on you know housing projects in, in collaboration with municipalities um, to, ha- to to provide affordable housing for for their employees who want to live in the areas um, where they where they service. Can you talk a little bit about what some of those innovative solutions look like that you're seeing, and maybe not just in Colorado, because I'm sure you're keeping an eye on all sorts of resort communities throughout the West and United States, throughout um, you know places that are very appealing to people these days. I'm sure it's happening everywhere. Are there are there things that you would point to that are innovative in nature? Absolutely, it's always faster and cheaper to pull supply that exists in the market today, and and deed restricted as workforce housing. So some innovation that we're seeing, you know, the Vail Indeed program or the Housing Helps program out of Summit County is how do the local jurisdictions actually work to the homeowner directly and say, can we acquire a deed restriction on the home that you live in to keep it in the locals housing supply? And there will be a cash exchange to say, you know, hey, Laura, if you don't sell your house to anybody but a local worker, um, we'll give you, you know, it can be fifty to $100,000 in cash right now to be able to add that to our housing supply, even if you don't intend to move. So that's one innovation that we're seeing. Um, it's not adding hundreds of housing units, but it's adding a diversity of housing stock, like townhomes, condos, single family homes. Um, and it's adding, you know, 10, 20, 30 housing units to a community that exists already. Um, we're also seeing lots of collaboration, as you noted, between towns and large employers. We're seeing school districts, you know, say, hey, we've got all this extra land. Is there something we can do with it? Um, and then jurisdictions themselves saying, you know, this had been deployed as a public works site or you know a place that we had materials stored how do we redeploy this site into housing um, again you know it's not that we're going to find any one solution to fit the need all at one time but it's how do we address the short-term need with some of these quick finds like the Vale indeed program and then plan for new construction uh, using things like you know, low-income housing tax credits. And then it's things like, how do we find um, the midterm solutions like building new housing using the funding that's coming out of the state or the federal or CHAFA, you know, our, our low-income housing tax credits. And then it's these long-term plays of how do we get land under the control of the right people today so that we have supply that we can add as the world shifts again in four, five, ten years, that we just have no idea what that's going to be like right now. Has anyone else done this well outside of Colorado? I, I go back to the article that was posted right after the Marshall Fire, which said, you know, the Marshall Fire was a cause of sprawl, the urban design and, you know, the proximity of the homes to each other and of climate change. And climate change is a big elephant in the room here that none of us can, we just can't pretend it's not real anymore. I mean, we're seeing impacts to our communities in ways that 10 years ago we just did not in Colorado. And it's not only water, it's things like electrical distributions. Now we have to worry about underground coal mining seams that you know we thought last about in 2002, but haven't had to since that Glenwood fire. But it's also like, is there ever going to be a satiated demand or do communities have to close themselves off? We've seen in Boulder that that doesn't work and in Golden that that doesn't work and Lakewood's trying to set that stage now. 
geographically, a lot of our mountain communities are closed off and we've seen that that does limit supply, which just exacerbates the problem. And so I think the question a lot of communities need to ask themselves right now is, what are our values as a community? And, and what are we willing to say is our line in the sand? Is it a balanced economy? Is it where locals not only work, but they live and get to raise their kids? These communities have an opportunity to ask those tough questions. And we've already seen some communities saying, we're gonna stop drawing events here to increase our visitor numbers. We need to take care of our own community first, given what we have. It's, it's wild to think about the fact that these places that are so beautiful, that are so sought after, that, that it's, it's the reason people want to live there, right? And now they're, they're virtually, like you said, shutting down in many ways things that would attract people because it's become it's become a double-edged sword in in too much of a way for them um and, and i think about you know we always like to leave these episodes with with a call to action or some something that people can do to help or support topics and this seems like such a, to- a heavy topic on the policy side of things and on the local municipality side of things that that me as an individual or you the, you as a listener may not think you can do anything. Is there something that we can do as individuals to either help support the mountain communities or while we're visiting, are there things that we can do to lessen the blow or what what might be a simple takeaway for our listeners to help out with this issue as they're enjoying our mountain communities? It's a big question. I mean, housing, no matter where you live and work, is such a personal issue and where you live matters. It impacts your mental health, your social health, your economic well-being. And at the personal level, it seems daunting to think about how you can affect change on a bigger scale. But the way I think we all need to be thinking about housing now, whether it's in the mountains or down on the Front Range or the Western Slope, is is by thinking of systemic change. Um, and it's a call to our collective action. Be a YIMBY, you know, be a yes in my backyard. Be supportive when you see a duplex going in or a quadplex going in and not expecting single family homes in your own communities and backyards. Think of ways that you can encourage and be inclusive of folks along the income spectrum, the age spectrum, the, the race and class spectrum, because it's by living more collectively and together. Um, And that can mean density. It can mean system improvements for uh, multimodal transportation. You know, it's, it's not just how do we fix the housing issue. It's how do we think about climate change and population and the way we interact collectively. Those all have to come together to think about fixing and, and finding solutions to the housing crisis. Um, you know, also, if, if you're living in these communities, um, you know, there are ways that you can think about, do you have extra room in your own home to rent out? I mean, that's kind of radical, but, you know, even if it's a short-term situation, is that something you can consider doing? Um, the other thing that I think about is, is really showing up and talking to your own elected officials about mandating that affordable housing being included in development that's occurring, whether it's market rate, housing, apartments, whether it's a hotel that's being built, you know, anything that's creating jobs really does need a housing component to offset it. How does the school think about 
where their teachers are living or the hospital, think about where their traveling staff are living, whether it's nurses or doctors, um, because those are all the things that make a community work. And and we're, we're, we're standing on the edge of a cliff right now. And we just got here so fast and our communities are at stake. And, you know, it can go a couple of different ways, but I'm really hopeful that we do find some ways to band together and, and get some of those short-term wins, mid-term wins, and then thinking about the long-term the whole time as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kimball, for your time. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you both. It's great to be here. Well, it's a tough subject for sure to talk about affordable housing in our mountain communities and what the, the people, locals are experiencing in particular in those places. Um, but I will say my one cool thing for this week's episode is related to our mountain communities, and that's the Winter Olympics. I'm a huge Olympic fan myself, Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, doesn't matter. But living in Colorado and, and experiencing the mountain sports and then seeing so many, I think there's 23 Olympic athletes in Beijing this year from the state of Colorado. And I heard that uh, Steamboat Springs reached their 100th all-time Olympian as a, as a small town, which is super cool. It's just fun for me to look at the TV and see that snowboarder is from Telluride or that ski jumper is from Steamboat Springs and things like that. So that's that's my cool thing for, for this week's episode. And um, if, you, if you like what you heard, if, if you like the topic, um, if you want to share it with people, we'd love for you to share it with your friends to listen in, get a little bit educated on some of the topics we're touching on. Um, you can obviously find us on Apple Podcasts, on Podbean, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast currently. Um, subscribe, share with your friends, and let's get out there and do some good in our Colorado communities. Mm-hmm.